You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. How's everybody doing? Feeling good? What a beautiful week we had. It was hot. Now 75 feels cool. So I'm just going to give you a pre-warning today that I'm really tired. And when I'm really tired, I tend to say really stupid things. My filter goes away. So you might get a little more raw me. And my voice is kind of, I don't know, I it literally have just been talking way too much. Um, we had an incredible time on Friday night. I actually, well, Friday morning, I left at four in the morning to bring my friends back to Syracuse. Then I went from Syracuse over to Gloversville, and I spent the whole day with our folks in Gloversville, and some, some people are coming to the meetings there that where we're planting a church. And so, and then that night we had our weekly, so I don't know if I've even ex- told you this, but on Friday nights we've been having what we call launch team meetings in Gloversville. And so we're gathering people who want to help start a church. And we've been kind of working that um, over the last year and doing different things. But now we're getting really serious about it. We rented a space um, just in kind of a, a nice area that is between Gloversville, Johnstown, and Amsterdam. Because really we want to try to be regional when we're there. And last night we had too many people, or on Friday night, sorry, we had too many people for the room that we already rented. So good problems to figure out, but people are hungry. People are looking for a representation of Jesus. And sometimes uh, we need to be different than we have been in order to show Jesus to the world, right? And so I really believe God's going to do some awesome stuff in that. Um, But it's really been an awesome week. So here we are. It's Sunday. I have one more thing I wanted to share with you guys before we jump into the message. So uh, my nephew is here, Sean Sullivan. Come on up, Sean. You guys can clap. He's cool. He's my nephew. (laughs) So Sean is going to share just for a moment, but Sean is actually going to be interning with us, um, with the staff for the next couple months, and he's been doing pastoral studies at Houghton, and he's just going to share a little bit about why he's here. Yeah, so as uh, Greg mentioned, I'm a senior now at Houghton studying theology and Bible to hopefully uh, church plant somewhere in the inner city someday is, is the goal, that, the mission that God has put on my life. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm so blessed to be able to serve in a church that's so saturated with the Holy Spirit. You know, you just walk in and you just feel him, you feel his presence, which is so amazing. And um and meeting many people here, I just I see the mission that God has given you, and you're just going forward with it. And I want to be a part of a church and a community that does that. So I'm so excited to serve with you all this summer and to see what God has in store for all of us. So thank you so much. Thanks, Sean. So you'll be seeing Sean around. Um, he'll be here. He comes during the week on Tuesdays, and he's here all day on Sunday. And then uh, whenever we, whenever else we ask, so he'll be here for the 40th and different times. So he lives in Watertown, and he drives up. He came here this morning. Um, that's a long ways to go. I don't think anybody else drew, drove further than that. Well, maybe, Steve, you did. But <laughs> um, so that came from Ohio, right? Is Ohio? Tennessee? I'm sorry. It's just over there somewhere. Um, <laughs> so that's a long ways to come to church, Tennessee. I mean, just <laughs> so all right. We're 
finishing up a series this morning that we've been doing for about eight weeks called Live Transformed. Does anybody feel transformed yet? <laughs> That's the response I figured. Um, this, the, t- today there's a couple points I want to make, but the first one I'm just going to say to you, transformation is an everyday process. You don't arrive because you heard a series about it. You don't arrive because you read a scripture that inspires you. You don't arrive simply because you prayed a prayer. It's literally a process of God transforming us, changing us every day. And when you read through the New Testament, you see Jesus' words, you even see some of Paul's words. He kind of admonishes people and he uses language like, until the day that Christ returns, which has not yet happened. And so there's this transformation in us that, that we know we are believing for God to do now, but it's also an ever-happening thing. And really, as much as we get closer to Jesus, as much as we kind of become transformed into what he's designed us to be, it seems like the more I become transformed, the more I just realize I need it more. The closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize, man, I got some problems, Man, I need Jesus even more than I did when I first started following him, or at least the way I, the way I thought I needed him when I first started following him. And so transformation is not something you're going to arrive at in some snap of a finger or some simple prayer, but it's literally a choice that we make to say, Jesus, transform me today. Holy Spirit, transform my heart. Transform my mind. Now, the beginning of this series, we started in Romans 12, and and we use the scripture there to kind of launch the whole thing. And in there it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That really everything that God's going to do within you, through you, and outside of you has to start in your mind. Because how we think always determines how we act. The things that we believe... now. You've probably heard me talk about the fact that doctrine isn't everything, but our belief system does impact our life system. And so what we believe in and how we view the nature of God and how we view Scripture and how we view the things that God says to us or even that people say to us ends up determining how we live our lives. And so God knows that, and really the first thing we, we have to do is let Jesus have victory in our minds. We have to allow him to change how we think, how we see the world, how we see him. And in that, I think transformation in the external is what just follows. And so today I'm going to end our series kind of on a different note, and some of it is uh, not so friendly, <laughs> Some of Jesus' words, if you read through the scriptures, we love to just hone in on the, the real friendly stuff from, from Jesus. But the truth is, there are quite a bit of red letters in the New Testament, you know, the words that Jesus said that were recorded, that weren't the friendliest, or maybe just weren't the words that left you with the greatest feelings. Because Jesus is pretty intense at some times. And so I'm going to read some of those today. I'm going to kind of end our series on, on what I'm going to say is a serious note about transformation, about what God's doing in us and about what he expects from us. So we're going to start with a parable in Matthew 25. Uh, just right off the bat, you know, because I was tired, I found so many issues with my 
my notes already. But 2 Corinthians, down in the like bottom third of your notes, it's not 2 Corinthians 4. When we get there, just remind me because I'll forget even by then. It's 2 Corinthians 5 um, where that is. But I think this is the right scriptures for Matthew 25. So it's not. See, I did it wrong already. It's Ma- no, I'm right. I'm crazy. You're going to get all sorts of weirdness today. I'm just... Matthew 25, let's start. So here's some parables that Jesus is saying. And if I would have had time today, or would have had my way, I probably would have started all the way back at the beginning of chapter 24 to lay the groundwork. Because, you see, we look at the Bible and we, we often compartmentalize it in these chapters and verses, but it's just not the way it was written. It's an ongoing story. We break it up in chapters and verses so we can find our way in it. But chapters don't mean that there's a break always in the thought that preceded it or in the reason that this story is being told. And so 24 and 25 bleed together. And Jesus comes in and he's telling these two parables. And really a lot of this is about kind of a feeling of the end times or or the moment when Jesus returns. At least that's how we view it now. But Jesus is here. They don't even have that concept yet. But he's talking about this readiness factor in their lives. And so he tells this terrible parable of the ten bridesmaids. Does anybody know this parable? It's kind of a weird parable. It really fits no Western culture at all. And so when we read this, we have to try to understand the context and the culture. And I'm just going to give you a brief. We're not going to read through that one. But the brief context here is that in those days, it was... Normal for these bridesmaids, now weddings took a lot longer than they do now. If you think your bride shows up late because she's 25 or 30 minutes late, they didn't have a time. They didn't actually have a day. They just knew a period in which they were supposed to gather. And whenever that bridegroom was ready and that bride was ready, it just would happen. So everyone would have to be ready all the time. Now that sounds terrible to me. But these bridegrooms and, and these bridesmaids, they would literally stay awake all the time. They would probably take literal rotational things in, in the historical context. And they would have to have their lamps filled with oil, right? Because sometimes the wedding would happen at night. Sometimes it wouldn't. And so there's this place where he's telling this story about these bridesmaids and these bridegrooms who their oil ran out and they weren't ready when the bridegroom showed up, when the groom showed up. And it, and it basically goes into this readiness about how we are looking for Christ when he comes or looking for God in these moments. And then it gets a little bit harsh. Jesus basically says they're not fit for the kingdom of God because they weren't ready. And so now we're going to jump. He goes right into another parable. And this is not a different thought. He's actually just sharing this parable in the same context, trying to get the same point across. This is the one we're going to focus on in verse 14. Parable of the three servants. So let's read it together. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up. Uh, They'll probably put some scriptures on the screen. So we're going to start in verse 14. Again, this is what tells you that he's trying to make the same point. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He left then on his trip. 
The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with the two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. And the master was full of praise. And this is where we get this scripture from, where we get these words from when we talk about being in heaven one day. This is exactly the parable where we are believing Jesus is going to speak this over us. And this is what he says to his servant. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. And so now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then the servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. Master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and planted crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, very key verse, but from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away, and this is one I wish didn't exist. Now throw this useless servant to outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yay, Jesus, what wonderful stories you share. You've probably heard this, the parable of the talents. But I just want to say, it was never about the talents. The talents was just a word for the resource, the finance. It's not about the money. And in fact, you know, what's interesting here, it's not even about the farmer. So don't put, you know, this, this harsh farmer thinking on God. That's not even a picture about God. It's literally a picture about the responsibility that a person has with what they've been given. And so right off the bat today, as much as transformation is for you, it's for everyone around you too. And when God entrusts us with things, when he literally comes into our life and he shows us his nature and he shows us the love and the grace that he's, he, he has in store for us and he shows us the purpose in which he has in our life and yet one, one time or sometimes we, we stop right there and we think, oh, Jesus is wonderful and look about how much this thing is about me and look at about how wonderful his grace is for me and, and we forget that it's never supposed to stop there. That your transformation is for you and for everyone else too. You see, in Genesis 1, we see 
the world created. Genesis 2, we see man come into existence. We see woman come into existence. We see this relationship between humanity and God, and we see this relationship between other humans together and humanity with the earth. And then we see this brokenness that takes place. We see this thing happen, and what takes place there is humanity becomes selfish. They become concerned about self rather than the outward things that God designed us to be concerned about. You know, I think a lot of times, this is a total side note. This is what you're going to get when I'm tired. You know... Yeah, i got to be really careful. Conservatism in politics does not equal Christianity. So just because conservatives a lot in our political world or in the world tend to trash the idea of caring about our planet does not equal that Christians should not care about our planet. Now, I am not making a point of whether I believe in climate change or not. I mean, I think the climate's changing. I think we affect it. But for us as Christians to not look at Genesis 2 and literally take the very first thing God says, which is, here's my garden, take care of it, and then think that we can do whatever we want with the world is nonsense. We became selfish beings. We literally became, humanity became all about itself. And so sometimes even in Christianity, I'm saying this because it's really the root of our problems in this world. Christianity, even we come to Christ and we receive his grace and we still think it's just about us. But your transformation actually affects the person sitting next to you. Your transformation from the the sin-patterned life that we live, the the way we missed our design and, and how we were living, changes not just for us, but now the people around us. Easiest way that I can give you a picture of this is anybody with children. The choices you make as a parent affect your children. The choices you make as a human affect every other human that you come into contact with. The choices we make as a church affect a region. The choices we make as people in our lives affect the person that I work next to every single day. The choices I make on social media affect social media. The choices we make in this world affect the world. And when we forget that, even in Christianity on the good side of things like receiving transformation and freedom and all the stuff and wholeness and all the things that God has planned for us, if we forget and think, oh, it's just for me, we've missed a lot of the point. So transformation, living transformed isn't just for you. It has to start there. But it's also for the people you live with the people you come into contact with, the people you work with, the people you sit next to in church, the people that you cross, you know, in the grocery store. Listen, I'll tell you a silly story about how much, how easy it is for us to affect the world. So my friends were here this week, and we went through Tim Hortons, and it was in the evening, and there was one car in front of us. No, there's two cars in front of us. And I ordered... 
and we just wanted like two coffees. And so I come up behind the car. Now, usually Tim Hortons is really fast, right? Because I want my coffee and I want it now. But I no joke, I have no idea what happened in there, but we were in line for 14 minutes. Now, I know it sounds ridiculous, but 14 minutes in a fast food line is not fast food. And I became just a wonderful Christian in those moments. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on in there? What's happening? Someone honked their horn. I can't. But someone should honk their horn. I hope that person in front's like, what are you doing in there? And I'm like, I'm getting mad. I'm like annoyed. I'm like, 14 minutes of my life for coffee? You know? And it's all about me. <laughs> and so now I'm like, what did they order? Like a four-course meal up there? This is Tim Hortons. Get your coffee and go home. You know, I'm, I'm just... These are all the wonderful thoughts your pastor has in his mind. So finally that car leaves, and it was a long time, right? And I'm like, I'm annoyed. I'm thinking, I'm going to say something like, hey, you guys okay in there? You know, the sarcastic, like, you know. And then the car in front of me was only there, like, for a moment. Now, they had been waiting as long as me, and they were there for, like, 15, 20 seconds. And I pull up, and I'm about to say something, and the, the lady goes, car in front of you paid for your drinks. Oh. What wonderful people they are. And I'm like, I'll pay for the car behind me. She goes, it's twice as much as you owed. I don't care. And I didn't. In a second, some stranger who decided to pay for my $3.58 in 14 minutes of my life changed how I acted in a moment. Our transformation transforms the world. Transformed people transform other people. If we don't, I'm not sure we're transformed. We just changed a little bit about how we acted and really still made life about us. And don't we do that sometimes? We turn Christianity into this thing that's really about us and the songs that I like to hear on Sunday and the temperature I hope they put the air conditioners at and, man, someone took my parking space or took my seat and when are they going to fix my bathroom? That boy's bathroom is so nice now. I mean, nobody would say that. And we end up, life is too much and too easily about us that even in Christianity, as we ask God to transform us, we forget it's for a purpose. It's for the fact that he calls us to actually use what he gave us. And what I love about this scripture is we're supposed to double it. You're supposed to double it. God's done five great things in your life. You better be doing five great things for other people. I don't know. Double what God's done in you. He's, he's brought you to freedom. He literally has given you a gift of freedom. Do not keep the gift for yourself. And this scripture is literally all about that. This parable that Jesus is speaking to, first off, you know who he's talking to again? The religious leaders. 
who have forgotten their whole purpose and why they were there to represent the nature of this God in the universe. They had forgotten that what they were supposed to be doing was for others, and they had literally made the entire religious system about them. They made it about what those people presented to them in offerings. And Jesus is challenging them. And he's talking about how they're supposed to act and what they're supposed to be like in the world and how the very things that God gives them, he requires us to use them. You know, I, imagine if in Christianity, I would never promote this. But we always love to be like, yeah, we're going to stand before Christ and he's going to say, well done, that good and faithful servant. You know what he's not going to say? Good intentions. I just loved all the good intentions you had. You know what? Great planning. You just made great plans and lists and wonderful ideas. Well done. He wants us to get something done. He wants us to literally do things with what he's given us. Not just have ideas about them or make plans or have intentions. But literally to do something with what he's given us. And I'll tell you what, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've known God, maybe you don't even know God, he actually has already given you things that he wants you to use. As simple as someone bought my coffee, okay, I can, I can easily reproduce that. I'll pay for the people behind me. God wants us to reproduce the very things that he's given us and the ways he's transformed us. We are supposed to become ministers of transformation to the rest of the world around us. So let's just jump down. I haven't read any more than that, but let's go to verse 34 and 40. And this is Jesus continuing to speak kind of after that moment of throw those people out. And he's talking about sheep and goats. And again, he's, he's still speaking on the same theme. Basically, sheep and goats have quite a difference in what they're like and their usefulness and the things that they're actually supposed to be. And so he gets down and he says, Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who, blessed, who, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom pre prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, what? will reply, Lord, when did we ever see hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you something to drink, stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? The king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. The transformation that God has for you is meant to be given to someone else. And when we do that, these are the things that I think God is going to say well done for. When you inconvenienced your life for that other person, I saw that. When you went out of your way to bless a person in need, I saw that. When you encouraged that person, I saw that. When you bought Greg's coffee at Tim Hortons, I saw that. 
That's supposed to be a joke. When we actually took what he's given us, when we realize that God's given us some freedom from addiction in our life, and we realize, you know what, I see that person in addiction, and I'm not going to run from them because I don't want to be near that life anymore. I'm going to run to them, and I'm going to show them the life that God has for them. You know, a number of weeks back, Mark Estes was here, and he preached on the, the scripture says, um, what, that talked about who our neighbor was. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the Pharisees say, well, who is my neighbor? And he goes on to tell the parable of the Samaritan on the side of the road, or the person on the side of the road, but the Samaritan, the one who's opposite of that person, who literally calls that person enemy, is the only one who goes and takes care of him. The neighbor in our life that we're supposed to be living for and transforming and seeing transformation come into is people not like us. Sometimes the people we look at and go, that's my enemy. Jesus has lots to say about that. Let's turn to Luke 6. Luke 6, verse 43 45, Jesus says this A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. But if we're trees that God's been watering, putting fertile soil on, and we see it grow, but we never produce fruit, are we actually identified as Christians then? I mean, we could go to the story of Matthew where Jesus comes upon a fig tree, and when it doesn't have fruit, you know what he does? He curses it, and it dies. Now, at the time, he was hungry. So Jesus got angry in the drive through too. <laughs> no one must have bought him a fig before because he's cursed it, and it died. I didn't curse Tim Hortons, though. We are called to produce fruit. And the fruit we're called to produce is whatever God has done in us in somebody else. The fruit that God is going to add up at the end of our life is the people that we love. The people that we deposited whatever he deposited in us in them. That whatever God entrusted in us that we then took and said, this isn't just for me. I'm going to deposit this in someone else. That's the fruit by which Jesus is going to say, oh, you're one of my disciples. Oh, I know you. But what he's not going to do is he's not going to reward people who just came across that, that starting line. Now, this is not talking about salvation. Again, salvation free. Mean it in your heart, invite him into your life, and guess what? I'm telling you, you'll be in the door. But what we have is this misconception of heaven and what it's like. You see, heaven is a restored heavens and earth. It's what God always intended it to be like. And he always puts principles into work in our, in our universe. And one of the principles he was so desperately trying to get them to see in that harsh parable about the talents was that you will be rewarded for what you did with your stuff and you won't be for what you didn't do. 
Now, I know we don't love to talk about a reward system in Christianity. But listen, our life here, short. Eternity, I can't conceive it. And so whatever we pay on this side determines something for all of eternity. We have to remember the balance there. We have to realize that, my goodness, if if this is inconvenient now, this is going to give me rewards in heaven. Now, I'm not saying if you're doing it out of that, like, weird, greedy, I want rewards from Jesus mentality, I don't know. That probably doesn't work either. But when we do it understanding that I'm not supposed to just hold on to what God's done in me for myself, Jesus rewards that. Jesus gives rewards for that. And I've taught on this before, but there's two judgments when we get to heaven. One is our judgment of salvation. It's it's getting in the door. It's do do we have we received the grace Christ paid for on the cross? There is a second judgment where we stand before Christ, and it's literally a judgment of what we did. A judgment where he says, What did you do with what I gave you? And I really think, I know there's no tears in heaven. Though I might think that's symbolic, actually. Because there's happy tears, right? I mean, I like happy tears. But I think there will be moments where we go, why didn't I do that? Why did I say no? And we'll see the stark contrast of what we thought was maybe so costly for us compared to what was so wonderful that God had for us. And not even for rewards in heaven, but what about the fact of what we think is so costly for us, but what is so life-giving to others? Now, I actually shared my testimony this week to someone that I was surprised they didn't know it. And I would probably assume a lot of people in this room may not know why and how I came to Christ. But the reason that I'm literally breathing today, I, I... literally lived in a place where I was depressed and suicidal. And the reason that that didn't occur in my life is because in the right moment, somebody else, not, let me just be a little bit careful, not Jesus. Jesus didn't come down into my room and save me. A person used by the Holy Spirit responded to to God And that is the reason I'm alive. You see, sometimes we we put on Jesus more than we're supposed to. Well, Jesus will just do that work. I'll just pray more. Jesus is going to do it. The Holy Spirit's going to do it. And you want to know what the Holy Spirit's saying? Yeah, but you're my tools. You're the ones that I need to do it. I loved Barb's word today. We always pray for this move of God to come, but the truth is the move of God is you and me. The move that God has is within us. It literally takes our action. I've jokingly said this a hundred times. No one knows the day or the hour of Jesus' return because he's still waiting for us to do our job. Jesus doesn't know because he's like, we're waiting for you to do the work. I don't think it's some set perfect time. He's literally waiting on what 
He's put inside of what he's entrusted into us, the scriptures say, to accomplish his good works in this world. Till every eye has seen, every ear has heard. And so transformation is not meant for us only. I put in your notes this line, too often we search for just salvation, wholeness, freedom, and transformation only to stop with ourselves. True Christianity is being transformed so that we can bring transformation to others. True Christianity is being transformed so we can then bring transformation to others. John 15, I I put that in there. It says, those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. And John 14 and 15 is this whole kind of back and forth where Jesus is inviting us into this relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit and him. But then he's saying, if you love me, obey my commandments. If you love me, do what I tell you to do. In John 15, there's this whole moment where he says, you know, I'm going to cut off every branch that doesn't produce fruit and I'm going to gather it into a pile and burn it. I don't want to be that branch. And then he goes on to say, I tell you all of this so that your joy will overflow. True fulfillment in God will not come from being more religious or more spiritual or praying more. It will, be, it will come from doing his work that he's designed for you. And that work is seeing transformation happen in other people. And you being used to do it. You actually saying yes to how God's transformed you. And then saying, God, how can I help someone else experience this? You know, I was really stirred by something Mark Estes uh, shared. I don't know if it was on that Sunday. But during one of our meetings on, on Saturday, he said he had done this calculation. And he said it was for us our church specifically. He said that if everyone in this church decided this year to just disciple and bring one person to Christ, you would double, right? Which is a big thought. If everyone in here just decided, I'm going to help someone else find freedom this year. Next year, we would not have enough chairs. Great problem. But then he said, if the following year, everyone did the same thing, and the following year, everyone did the same thing after that, in 21 years, New Testament Church of Messina would have reached all 7 billion people on this planet. He said for his church, which starts out with, they have 7,000 people in Portland at their church, they could do it in four and a half years. And this thing hits me and makes me realize how much we just like to sit and enjoy the presence of God, church and worship and and maybe even a funny speaker. And we do this thing and we, we look for the transformation God has for us and we even pursue following him, but too often we forget that the following includes everyone else. Now I know for a fact that even if we did that, there's going to be people who say no. There's going to be people who reject. I don't want to do that. I don't want to follow him. That's fine. But there's lots of people to choose from. And if we just simply looked for the opportunity of God, 
How can I take how you've transformed me and see someone else transformed? Man, we would see a great awakening. The next revival and awakening that we are always believing for isn't going to come because some great, wonderful preacher comes and sets up a tent. It isn't going to happen just maybe simply because incredible miracles take place, though I'd love to see them. I think the real great awakening will happen when the church, when those who have been transformed then say it is our job to now be ministers of transformation to the world. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul writes it this way, and, and, and it's pretty much the same thing. I'm saying transformation. He calls it reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians, we'll, let's, yeah, we'll start right there in verse 11. It says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. That's a good term at some points. I don't, I don't fear God because of his nature. Now, I'm a certain, I have a certain personality, and my personality's biggest fear is failure. And it's really not about any of you thinking I'm a failure. It's about me thinking I'm a failure. And so pretty much every day I'm judging myself, and it's an unhealthy thing too at times, about whether I've done a good enough job. And so I have this motivation in me so deep that says, man, when I stand before Jesus, I really want those words to be true. I don't want them to be placated. I don't want them to say, like, nice job, you know, good attaboy. I want them to say, man, you did good. You got some things done, well done. You worked hard for me. You loved your family well for me. You loved your neighbors incredibly for me. Those are the words I so desperately, I don't want them to say, man, those church services, woo. That building you built, awesome. The chair color you picked, spot on. I don't think he's going to care. I mean, we like them. I'm glad we have AC. Man, in 2020, when you put that AC in, wow. I don't think he's going to say that. But what he's going to say is, you did good with people. You did your best. You tried and you gave everything you got. You took whatever I gave you and you, you kind of put it into the middle of that table, that poker table of life every single time. You risked for me every time I asked you to. I know I already haven't. But man, do I want to be better at it. I don't want to keep what he's given me and hoard it for myself and say, well, but, but now we're safe, Jesus. Now my life is good and safe and things are good and I'll love people when it's convenient and I'll pick that hitchhiker up when I'm going that direction and, you know, I'll, I'll go help that person when it fits into my schedule. No, I want to put all the chips on the table and I want to say, Jesus, I'm going where you're going. I want to love the people you love. And if it costs me time and money and sleep and coffee, I will do it. Because I want to see the world around me transformed. I want to see Messina transformed. I want to see people in this town deeply in love with the God who is deeply in love with them. 
I want to see them capture this heart of a God who's given everything for them and then turn around and love everyone else around them. I want to see Malone transformed. I want to see Waddington and Augensburg and Potsdam transformed. I want to see Gloversville. I want to see that square that we've been praying for called the North Country and that million people. You know, God's desire says is for all men to be drawn into him. Why can't we desire the same thing? That all people in the North Country are drawn to him. It takes transformed people to transform people. We work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Verse 12, are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. This is Paul's words. If it seems we are crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life is gone. We already preached this during this series. But let's go on to see what he keeps saying. And all of this is a gift from God. Why does he give us this new life? Who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. You know, the word task there, I looked it up and I did a little study on it. It's actually better translated, well, it was almost a military term as orders. These are the orders that God has given us. The job that we have been designed to do is to reconcile people to him. And I'm not saying that we do it all in our own strength. The Holy Spirit is the only thing that works within us to accomplish these things. But the Holy Spirit is refusing to do it himself. He's going to use us. He's going to use people. And he's given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors means we speak for him we represent him we act as he would act based on the very directions and commands that he's given us that's what an ambassador does they don't get to act on their own behalf when they're sent to a country they represent the ideals and the policies and the things that that country represents that that in that day it would have been a king represents and so in this world, we're no longer about ourselves. We actually are a representation of somebody else. And God is making his appeal. I love this, this language. God is making his appeal through us. He's not making his appeal. You know what an appeal is? 
It's the process of trying to literally show evidence of a specific idea or goal. It's the idea that he wants the nature or the world to understand his nature. And so the way he wants the world to understand his nature and his goodness and all the things he's accomplished on the cross is simply to do it through us. And so the evidence that God is literally presenting to the world of his goodness is, guess what? You and me. I'm not the greatest evidence sometimes. So he says, God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I love that. At the end of the day, I don't care if you didn't know God ever before in your life, it's still a coming back. Because your original design, if you're in this room, if you're watching online, and you don't know if you've ever followed God before, it doesn't matter because it's still a coming back. We've always, always been his family. It's just that life has caused us to start kind of on the outside. Sin and the brokenness of this world caused us to start separated from him, and now we're finding our way back to him. And our job is literally be the evidence of the world, to the world, that there's a way back to God. There's a way back to his family. And then we're supposed to literally plead with the world, come back, see what we've seen. Let me show you the nature of this Father who loves me. Come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And I want to just, I'm going to stop with the first verse of chapter 6. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of kindness and then ignore it. This is where I want to end our series of transformation right here. Paul's same words. We beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. You see, he makes a differentiation there. You can accept it, but you can also ignore it. You can accept it and in a sense get the benefits for yourself of salvation, but then you can ignore what it's supposed to mean for everyone else. Just as he got done talking about us being ambassadors and and being ministers of reconciliation, he's pleading with them, please, don't just keep it for yourself and then ignore it. I would absolutely confess today that at times I am an incredible ignorer of what God wants me to do. In fact, I think... As Westerners, we do a really good job just designing our life to ignore those things. We build our life around ourselves, around what we like and what we want to do and what we want to achieve. And it doesn't mean, listen, I'm saying all this. I'm not talking about, you know, living in some selfless way where, you know, you're destitute and homeless. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that there's a place where our decisions aren't born out of just about us. Our decisions in life aren't born in just making things that make our life better, but literally looking at the world and saying, Jesus, how can I not ignore this great gift you've given me? Why don't we stand this morning?
How can we use our, our transformation to bring new life and transformation to others? And I put this in your notes just as a question, and I ended it saying it this way, to others today, this week, and this year. Imagine if every one of us decided today to do something, even small. And I, I love even the wording that Jesus uses in the parable of the three servants. He says, you took something so small. The truth is, God isn't entrusting these massive things that's like impossible for us to do. He's just saying, here, here's something small. I'm going to see if you do anything with it at all. And then after we say yes to those things, he builds on that in our lives. He gives us more because he can trust us more. He gives us more responsibility because he, he knows we're going to do something with it. But there's something that every one of us in this room, every person watching online, can literally do today to be a minister of reconciliation to the world. Something simple. Ask Jesus what it is. Look for an opportunity to encourage, to bring hope, to bring joy into someone else's life, to bless someone, to be inconvenienced for someone else. Because when we act in those ways, those are the very things that open a door of opportunity for us to then see who God is working in that day. For us to actually say, oh, this is a person I'm supposed to invest in. This is a person who's ready and wanting to follow Christ. And that's when we actually begin to disciple people. But we have to start with today. How does God want us to bring reconciliation? I'm going to pray and worship team is going to do a song. And, and I just want us to take a moment and say, okay, God, what do you want to do with me? Can we do that together? Can we take these words that Jesus says and that Paul says and even ask God, help us receive this marvelous gift but then not ignore it. I think that should be our prayer today. Father, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for what you've done in every one of our lives, God. Whatever measure of salvation we've experienced, whatever measure of, of uh, you know, transformation that you've brought into our lives, God, whatever measure of freedom and wholeness that we've experienced, God, and we thank you so deeply for it, God, but today, God, we ask you, help us not to be a group of people who receive this marvelous gift of your kindness and then ignores it. God, let us be a people who looks and sees the world around us and says, I have something to offer. I can help bring transformation to people. Holy Spirit, work inside me to work inside someone else. Holy Spirit, stir me with boldness to speak truth and love into people's lives. So that God, that when people saw us, when they look at us, and even God, when they look specifically at this church in this place, they wouldn't just see individuals or a group of people, but God, they would see you. That we would literally represent you well in this world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let's worship for a minute together. She reminded me we were supposed to do communion. And I had it sitting here this whole time just looking at it. This is a great opportunity for a communion, actually.
planning it very well. Sorry. You know, Jesus says these words as he breaks bread and, and he passed the cup and, and he says these things to his disciples. He breaks the bread. and if, if you don't have a cup, you can grab one or you can raise your hand. Someone will bring you one. But he takes this bread and he passes it around and, and we kind of have created this moment, this ritual, this tradition in our lives called communion. But the words that Jesus says are, do this in remembrance of me. And I think the most powerful thing we can do as Christians is not just remember him by taking communion, but remember him best by how he lived and living the same way. He had just spent three and a half years with these guys. These, these are his best friends, his disciples. And when he was saying, do this, he wasn't just saying, hey, take some bread and eat it once in a while. Take a cup, drink from it once in a while. Remember what I did. No, he's saying, do this. Do everything I've shown you for three and a half years. Do everything that I've taught you. Do this in remembrance of me. Live like me. Be like me. And we create this moment, and I think really this moment is not just about, it is about the blood, it is about his body that's broken, but it's also about the life that he lived, that he wants us to live. And it's a serious moment for us to say, God, I don't want to receive this marvelous gift, this representation of blood on the cross, this representation of your body broken. I don't want to receive this marvelous gift and then ignore it. So let's open the cup together. Yeah, the bread part first, jeez. I'm the worst. Take the bread out. I'm just going to read from Luke. It says he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. So, Father, as we take this bread, God, as we just take this symbolic representation of what you did, this, this life that you lived, this broken life that you came to serve, you came to lay down for us and for all people who would come after us, for all the people who are then, God, this price you paid, God. We take it today as a remembering moment. But God, we ask right now again, don't let us ignore it. So Father, we take this moment, we, we search our hearts and we ask right now, let us represent you well. So let's take the bread together. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Father, we take this cup together today. God, we take it today and 
We remember what it represents that really through our own actions, through our own will, God, we could not reconcile ourselves to you. God, through our own choices, through anything that we could do, we could not come back to you, but your blood poured out for us paid that price. God, the life that was represented in the blood of our bodies since the beginning of time, this, this literal thing that lives within, within us, God, that represents how we have life, God, that you poured out, that you paid for every one of us. God, we don't want to take it lightly. But God, we want to remember what it meant to live a life reconciling people to you. So God, we take this together. In Jesus' name, let's take it. Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.